Women in Wellbeing is an Eden Center podcast, highlighting emotional well-being and mental health through Jewish sources and interviews with experts and activists. Our host, Karen Muller-Jackson, is a certified Matan Marala Halakha, Jewish educator, writer, founder of Kifun Lashirut Guidance Program for Religious Girls, and creator of Power Parsha. Just as the mikvah waters create the opportunity for renewal, we hope the insights shared here will serve as a springboard for discussion and rejuvenation. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Eden Center Women and Wellbeing Podcast. This month's podcast is dedicated to our brave soldiers. May they all return safely. Our thoughts are with all those families who have lost loved ones or whose loved ones are missing. We continue to pray for all of Am Israel. Mika Amcha Israel. Even amongst the devastation, we have seen acts of tzedakah and volunteering in Israel and worldwide. We have also seen heartwarming images of soldiers who are meant to be married and instead of their dream wedding are having weddings on bases or in backyards with strangers coming to be Masameach Hatan Bekala. On that note, this month's podcast is kindly sponsored in honor of Lauren Ostrovsky's wedding. May Hashem give us chizak and guide us through these dark days to return to the days of Simcha. This has been the most terrible week in Israel, like nothing before in my lifetime. Beginning with waking up to air raid sirens on the morning of Simchat Torah, to watching our sons and daughters or neighbors and friends being called up and rushing to join the IDF and fight for Israel. The loss has been incomprehensible. The numbers of children, grandmothers, teens, and young soldiers killed, and on top of that, seeing the agony of people who have missing children or who at the time of this recording still don't know if their loved one is alive or has been kidnapped and taken to Gaza. Everyone is understandably stressed, sad, worried, and anxious. As part of the Eden Center's goal of providing support for life cycle and crisis moments and improving the physical and emotional health of women and families, today, after I share some short Torah thoughts, I have invited Dr. Bella Shanzer Morgan to join us for a discussion of managing our emotions and reducing anxiety in times like the present. This coming week, we will read Parshat Noach. We so often focus on the Noach before the flood and the building of the Teva. Today, I would like to explore with you the story of Noach after the flood. Noach and his family spent an entire year in the Teva. When the Mabul ends, you would think they would run out of that ark, but instead they don't leave. God has to command Noach to leave the ark. Tse min teva. Come out of the ark together with your wife, your sons, and your sons' wives. Moreover, when Noach does go out, the Torah tells us that he begins to plant a vineyard. This leads to his getting drunk and unfortunately an ambiguous episode involving shame or sinning. What is going on here? It seems as though now that the flood is over, Noach is faced with the reality and tragedy of what has occurred and does not feel optimistic nor motivated to leave the Teva. Perhaps he is thinking to himself, how do I go on living after all that has happened? How does one recover from such destruction? The commentaries highlight two points which provide an optimistic message and will resonate with the survival of the Jewish people again and again, and hopefully for Am Yisrael right now. Rashi points out that in God's command to leave the Teva, the order of the families has changed, of the family members has changed. When they went into the ark, the order was, you, Noah, your sons, and your wife and your son's wives will go into the Teva. Rashi explains that this is because the men and women were separated. They did not have relations that whole time because the world was Shavui B'tza'ar, was in a state of distress. 
Yet when God commands them to come out of the teva, God hints in the order that it is time to live, time to live together as husband and wife. And next, God blesses them, pru urvu, to have children. Even in such dark and hopeless times, says God, continue living and building a future. Similarly, with regard to the vineyard, there is negative interpretation, which states that Noah became a man of the Adama, of the material world, no longer of the spiritual world, or he just gave up and found solace in drinking alcohol. Yet one commentary sheds a positive light on Noah. The Midrash teaches that Noah took with him the vine branches and shoots of fig trees on the teva in order to plant them afterwards. He did have the hope and optimism and carried it with him until he was settled on dry land. And then he planted in the hopes of rebuilding the world, even if it did not turn out well for him. Noah is a complex character. Those who live through traumatic times or who experience significant anxiety can perhaps read the story of Noah after the flood with a bit more sympathy and draw important lessons about taking care of ourselves in difficult times and about how to remain how to retain optimism and keep on living. In just a few moments, I'll be speaking with Dr. Bella Shanzer, who will give us some guidance for how to cope during these anxiety-ridden and difficult times. Dr. Bella Shanzer is a board-certified general adult psychiatrist who has spent the last 20 years providing evidence-based holistic care to individuals struggling with mental illness. Dr. Shanzer graduated Phi Beta Kappa from Barnard College and AOA from Columbia College of Physicians and Surgeons. In addition, she graduated with honors from the Mailman School of Public Health with a focus in healthcare policy and administration. Dr. Shanzer has served in a number of clinical and administrative positions, including mental health director at Mount Fury Aid Center, medical director at NYPH Adult Outpatient Psychiatry Clinic, chief mental health service line at the Detroit VA Medical Center, and prior to making Aliyah to Israel, she was the vice chair for clinical affairs at the Baylor College of Medicine, Meninger Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences. Since moving to Israel in August 2020, Dr. Shanzer transitioned to full-time clinical work and is now running a busy private psychiatry practice based out of Ranana, Israel. Throughout her career, Dr. Shanzer is focused on ensuring that the patients in her direct care and under her responsibility would receive patient-centered, evidence-based care that emphasized health and wellness with a goal towards achieving the best quality of life possible. One final note, Dr. Shanzer is proudest of the fact that she is the mother of four teenagers or young adults aged 15, 16, 18, and 20 years old. They've taught her more about caring than any other experience in her life. Thank you, Bella, for taking the time to speak with us and to give us guidance on how to take care of our loved ones and ourselves during this horrific time and unprecedented challenge for Israel and for the Jewish people. Well, thank you, Karen, for inviting me. It's really my absolute honor to help in any way that I can. Thank you. Uh, I was just speaking to a friend, and I know that many of my friends are just not sleeping well, if at all. Uh, Others have expressed guilt. They feel guilty about just doing anything that might make them feel slightly better, be it exercise, or um, people are sort of at a loss for how to feel. At times like this, Uh, how can we reduce our anxiety levels so that we can cope better and take care of ourselves as well as those around us? 
So that's a great question. And it's actually how I start any session on anxiety is you have to remember to self-care. Self-care is not being selfish. It's being self-aware. It's realizing what you need so that you can function and take care of everybody else. I always give kudos to the airline industry for doing one of the most therapeutically insightful things possible, reminding parents that they need to put the oxygen mask on first, and then you put the oxygen mask on your child. And what I think this is so brilliant is that it's a reminder to you as the caregiver that you have to give care back to yourself before you can give care to anybody else. Because if you don't have oxygen, you don't breathe. And if you're not breathing, you can't help anybody else. And this is something that's really, really important. There should be no guilt in self-care. And I really want to reinforce this. It is not selfish to care for yourself. It is being self-aware of what you need so that you can care for everybody else. And on that note, breathing is really important. So even if you can't do anything else, even if you can't get yourself to do the things that I'm going to go talk about in a few minutes, it is really important to breathe. And we sometimes forget to breathe. So I, every day you wake up. For those of you listening to this as a recording, which you all will be, that was me taking a very long, slow, deep breath. And that is really important. That in and of itself helps make us feel a little bit more relaxed. Why? Because our brains, basically, anxiety is our brain's response to danger. It's a, it's a warning system for ourselves to let us know that we're in potential danger. And the brain evaluates information from the outside, but also information from within our body. And one of the things that the brain looks at in determining whether or not we're in a state of danger is our oxygen level. It let, because our oxygen level is determined by how quickly we're breathing, how rapidly our heart is racing. So in a weird sort of way, the anxiety, physical anxiety cycle that we get into perpetuates itself because our brain feels like we're breathing rapidly. Our heart needs to beat more quickly. We need to get more oxygen. When you take a nice deep breath, all of a sudden your brain is awash in oxygen and it says, oh, wait a second. Maybe I'm not in imminent danger. Maybe I'm not going to have to flee or freeze or fight. I can start calming down and you will feel that you your heart starts to slow down a little bit you start feeling a little bit calmer. In addition, when your muscles, when you start feeling anxious, you probably feel like your muscles contract, your neck feels tight, your arm. Muscle contraction and then release is also a very good way to just provide some immediate relaxation for the body. And again, um, this is not going to change the situation. This is not going to protect anybody, but this is how you help just feel in the moment, just a little bit less anxious. And why is that important? Your brain can't process information properly when it's anxious, because when it's anxious, it's going like this. It's mm -hmm. not think it's going in circles. It's not thinking linearly. And we have to get the brain back on track so that we can function. And so those are just very basic, immediate, deep breath, clench your hands, let them go very slowly. These are really, really helpful low-hanging fruit to just help immediately just take everything down just a few notches. But in terms of overall self-care, which is really, really critical and not selfish at all, and there should be no guilt about it, 
there are some basic things that I think are sort of the ABCs of self-care. And the first is sleep. And sleep, sleep, sleep. I cannot stress how important sleep is. And it is something that we take for granted. Many people don't sleep well. They're like, oh, I don't sleep well. Oh, well, that's a problem. And especially in this kind of situation. Why is sleep so important? Because just think, even under normal circumstances, when everything is fine, if you don't sleep well the night, you know, one night, the next day you wake up, you're a little grouchy, you're a little irritable. You know your kids, when they don't get a good night's sleep, they're harder to deal with. It's just basic, you know, functioning, even in having nothing to do with an external stressor. Compound that by being in a situation where you're already on edge, you're already stressed, and now you're not sleeping. You're really not allowing your brain a chance to function. So this is where if you need help sleeping, there is no shame in using something to help you sleep. There are some low-level over-the-counter things. In Israel, they sell something called tonight in America, Benadryl, antihistamines. These are low-level and they can help re-regulate you because part of the problem also is that when you don't sleep, you start not sleeping. Because in addition to not sleeping that night, then you start worrying that you're never going to sleep again. And that worry itself prevents you from sleeping. So whatever it takes to get you back to sleep, you do that. Chamomile tea, lavender oil. These are things, these are really like low-level, non-addictive. You don't need a prescription for any of these things to help you sleep. That said, if you're going a few nights and you really still can't sleep, you call your doctor. You tell, talk to your doctor about the fact that you're not sleeping. Sleep is critical. It's probably the most basic of all the self-care items and the hardest to achieve, but also the most basic. Number two, remember to eat. Again, these seem so silly, common sense. But the problem is when you're really anxious and really worried, these are the things that go by the wayside because you're like, how can I eat a sandwich when my son is in Gaza? Well, you still need to eat a sandwich, even though your son is in Gaza. And if you're not eating, again, you're starving your brain of it's the essential nutrients that it needs to process and to function. If you're not functioning, how can you help your son in Gaza? And it's really, really important. Um, and that's eating and drinking, by the way. So water, the whole nutrition piece. Number three, sunshine and exercise. And I put them together because ideally, if you can exercise outside, you get sort of the benefits of both. I yeah. realize in some situations, like what's going on right now in Israel, there are times where you cannot be outside. And I'm not, God forbid, telling anybody to put themselves in a dangerous situation. But when you can Take advantage of the fact that there is still sunshine here. Get outside for a few minutes. Vitamin D is really, really important. There is a reason why our mood changes with seasons. And, and that's because we benefit from sunshine. It helps make you feel better. Again, none of these things change the environmental stressors that you find yourself in, but they help you cope better because we can manage, we can control our personal internal environment. We cannot control the external environment right now. And I think this is a really important thing to continue to think about when we're getting going through this type of situation. And exercise, always good for you, right? Even in when it's not, okay, it's just, there's nothing negative. Ne exercise is probably one of the few things that there's no negative to. It's good for your heart. It's good for your mind. Gets your endorphins up. It basically gets your body to release its own natural antidepressants, for lack of a better word, and anti-anxiety medication within your, those are the neurotransmitters that get released. Try to get some exercise. And if you can do it outside, fantastic. Take a walk around the block close enough so you don't feel that mm -hmm. you're getting too far from your McClot, but 
far enough so that you're remembering that the world is still out there and that the world is generally safe. Yes. And finally, social interactions. Don't go through this alone. Talk to other people. Speak to your neighbor. Go to an event with other people. The the worst thing to do is to isolate because then it becomes you and you're just, you sort of close in on yourself and all your fears and worries become exaggerated because you're not talking to anybody else. Take advantage of social interactions. It's so, so, so important. A friend, a family, your community, look for things where you can talk to other people. That is critical. So those four things, if nothing else, sleep, eating, sunshine exercise, and social interactions are really, really important. And again, self-care is not selfish. It's being self-aware so that you can help other people. Wow. This resonates so incredibly. As you were talking, I was taking a few breaths and I uh, I really can uh, feel it helping. And uh, I'm just going to keep saying these words to me. I think especially Jewish mothers in particular need to keep reminding ourselves of this. I feel like I should put a picture of that, you know, the card that they have on the airlines of like what you're supposed to do with the mask. It's so important. I love, no- love that comparison. So moving beyond ourselves, and of course, you know, we need to protect ourselves in order to help others. What should we be paying attention to in our kids, family members, friends? How can we tell when they're experiencing rising levels of anxiety? And what what would you advise us to do? Uh, how can we help? All right. So first, the those things that we discussed the, right before about self-care, when somebody starts feeling increasingly anxious or increasingly depressed, those are the things that fall by the wayside first off. They're the most basic, but they're also the things that you see. And in terms of your children, obviously it's important to be mindful of, but also your spouse, your your you know relatives, friends who you feel a close relationship with. How are they sleeping? Are your children not sleeping at night? Are they having nightmares? Have they, are they not eating the way they should be? Are they eating more than normal, less than normal? Are they socially isolating? Are they staying in their rooms? Are they not talking to other people? Behavioral disturbances, certainly in small children, you may see them acting out in ways, regressing behaviorally. So whereas maybe normally they'd be doing X, now they don't seem to be doing it. Teenagers who are staying in bed all the time. These are kind of soft subtle signs that something is wrong. Now, you don't diagnose somebody based on those signs, but it's the first kind of red flag of, especially as a parent, something is off. Mm-hmm. And I think what's really important is to ask, do not assume. We, we, we have these kind of notions as humans that we can read other people's, that we know what other people are thinking because primarily we're projecting what we're thinking onto them. Mm-hmm. There's one thing that I've learned is that you never really know what's going on in somebody else's mind unless you ask them. And asking somebody is never the wrong thing. You're giving them permission. Again, we always have these fears. Oh, if I ask somebody, I'm going to make them feel a certain way. Asking a question doesn't make anybody feel or think anything. What it does is it gives them space and permission to tell you actually what they're going through. And for children and for your spouse and for your friends, that's super important because especially kids, they have these things that they don't want to bother their parents. They don't want to, if they see their parents upset, they don't want to make their parents more upset. I mean, 
what goes on inside children's minds and the fantasies that they have about their impact on their parents is you you can't even believe sometimes what children think they are capable of in terms of impacting their parents. And this is like this classic concern with divorce that children think that they're the reason why the parents get divorced. And it's so important to make sure that they know that it has nothing to do with them. That's sort of an extreme example, but it's the same sort of notion. When you see any behavioral change, subtle as it may be, the first thing you should do is ask your child, hey, how are you doing? I know it's really scary what's going on right now. Let's talk about it. That's, it seems like such a basic intervention, but quite frankly, for most kids, that's all they're going to need. Right. Most children are not going to need more than that. They need to know that their parents understand what they're going through. They need to feel supported and loved. And that's really important. By the way, hugging, physical contact, really, really important. So there's never... There's no downside in hugging your children an extra time, making sure they feel that physical support. But primarily just talking to them, find out what they think, find out what is going on inside their head, find out what they are hearing from their friends. Teenage, you know, with the younger children, perhaps you have more control over their exposure. I don't know if they don't have phones, maybe with your teenagers, trust me, whatever you think they're seeing, they're probably seeing more of it. They're probably hearing more of it from their friends. It's so important to understand and not by the way, and telling your kids not to do this, that or the other thing is really not helpful at this moment because they're going to do it anyway. They're going to, or they're going to speak to their friends. So you may say, oh, you can only watch an hour of TikTok. Okay. You don't think they're talking to their friend who's watching four hours of TikTok? Like the creating rules like that. And that may only unfortunately lead to them not talking to you to the degree that you want them to. You really want them to be as honest and truthful with you as they can be. So that's really, really important is making sure that there's avenues for conversation and that they feel that they have permission to tell you whatever it is that's going on inside. So it starts by noticing these behavioral changes and then talking to them. In terms of how to help them, if they're willing. Now, again, I it's hard because as a parent, you feel like you want to push your kids. This is really where you need to sort of see where your child is at and knowing your child to help encouraging them to do what it is that is best for them. Okay, for some kids, it is going to be just being home because they're, the, the anxiety is too overwhelming. But ideally, again, teenagers, even more than adults, need social interactions. Okay, that is the primary motivator of children, of teenagers. That was why COVID was so difficult for them, was that it impacted their social interactions. Let your kids get together with their friends. Let them do things together. I would say it's hard without school. School provides an amazing structure for kids. It provides, I mean, school and work provide an amazing structure for all of us. <laughs> but feeling that I think a lot of people are experiencing, like it's Wednesday, it's only it's only Wednesday. Like, hasn't this been going on for a year already? Because it feels like not, it's because we like don't have the routines. Our routines have been thrown off, right? And we're going to talk about routines in a little bit. But for kids, routine, so important. You want them to be able to know that they wake up at a certain time, they go to sleep at a certain time, they have find activities that are age appropriate, that, and if possible, if the activities have meaning, especially for the teenagers, fantastic. There's so many volunteer things that kids can be doing right now. And really everybody wants to contribute at this time. That's kind of this, and it also helps allay certain of anxiety, right? Because really anxiety is about not being able to be in control. Nobody knows what's going on. It feels so overwhelming. But if they have a discrete task that they can do 
that they feel that they have some ownership over, some agency, not only will it help them allay some of their anxiety, it'll help them feel more connected, which reinforces the social interactions, which makes them feel better. And that reinforces the interest in doing it more. So it becomes a positive self-reinforcing cycle. Yes. Anyway, those are my thoughts on um, it's as I, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about all the channels that we have going on. You know, we started with the trying to protect ourselves and self-care so that we can be there for everybody. Um, and now thinking about the sort of younger children and teenager, you know, mid-range teenagers and their needs. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about my son who's 15, who plays tennis like almost every day. He's obsessed with tennis. And one of the hardest things has been that the tennis courts, you know, are closed right now in Israel in Ranana, certainly. And, uh, and, you know, and I'm like, wait, but I'm thinking about my next question, which I'm going to ask you, which is much more. And and I'm already feeling guilty that I'm having this thought about (laughs) the fact that my 15 year old can't play tennis. Um, and so that's not guilty. Yeah, I know. And I'm thinking, and I'm sharing it with you because I think it's so important, um, for, for us to hear ourselves, like what's going through our heads. Uh, and so I want to jump into our next question, because I think this one is going to um, just resonate so many of our listeners. Uh, unfortunately, the way I, in a, you know, also for our listeners in who live outside Israel, you know, the, the past few days, we on Shabbat, Simchat Torah, we all saw, if not our sons, then our friend's sons, our neighbors, just boys coming into shul, running out of shul, uniform, getting into cars, driving down, driving down south, all being called up in an emergency call up by the army. And I think that, um, you know, mothers and fathers as well at, at the Eden Center, of course, we care about fathers, even if our prim- primary work is with the mothers. Um, are trying to manage supporting older children who've been called up to serve in dangerous situations. It's also not, there's some very um, situations that we've been hearing about lack of lack of gear because of the mad rush and warm food. And people are doing incredible amounts to, to help the Chaylim. Uh, but as the, I really want to take a moment to think about the mo- moms of the Chaylim who are out there in the South and the North, wherever, um, that Hashem should protect them. What advice do you have for these parents of our precious beloved Chayalim? So, so I'm going to steal actually from a video that was released actually earlier this morning um, from one of the army psychologists about how to talk to your Chayalim when they call you on the phone. Um, so, and I'm going to, but before that, I'm going to just remind everybody about self-care, okay? Because self-care is part of helping your Chayalim, right? If you are struggling so much that you can't even talk on the phone with your child, you're not going to be able to help your chayal. So I'm reiterating this because it exactly how you started that there's this sort of this guilt that we should be feeling like that. Like you're alive. You need to take care of yourself. That's the only way for you to take care of anybody else. Seriously. All right. So they talked about, because primarily for most people, the support that they're going to be able to give their chayal is in the two minute if that much, one minute phone conversation that they will hopefully get at some point. Right. Obviously the packages, the notes, that's all wonderful, but on a personal level. So um, first he said that it's important that the calls are going to be quick. And so you have to just accept that your son may or daughter may need to, you know, cut off the conversation in mid sentence and that's okay. Don't give them a hard time about that. Number two, be positive. He actually talked about being future oriented when you talk to them on the phone, talk to them about the teal that you're going to go on when you get back about the the meal that you're going to make for them. It sounds 
silly perhaps, but the fact is it's actually important. Optimism and hope are really important. When you read stories of, you know, and I'm, God forbid, I'm not comparing, but when you read stories of Holocaust survivors, being hopeful and believing in a future is what got most of them through. They imagined what their life and holding on to that is really important. It's really, really important to get through. So that's number three. And this, I think, is a very hard one, but it's really important. Don't like tell them about bad things that are happening in the house. Don't make them feel like you, you know, that things are a problem or that there's fighting. That's not to say that you should lie. Okay. But you just don't need to share every detail, right? If, if their, you know, 10 year old brother is crying every night, they, they don't need to know that it's not helpful for them. And again, you just don't talk about it. That's kind of what he was saying. And I, I realize that sort of is a little hard sometimes to feel it's not that you want to kind of, you know, nobody's saying that you should lie, but at the same time, you want to minimize the burden you're putting on them emotionally, right? The whole hope is for you to take their emotional burden away to the degree that you can. The fourth thing he said, which I think is the hardest, is that you should be able to be ready to hear whatever it is they have to say. Now, they may not say much, right? And they may just want to hear you talking to them, and that's fine, and that's great. Or they may need to unload, and that is very difficult. It's hard to hear that your child is in a stressful situation or that your child is in a horrific situation. No mother wants to hear that. And that's where the self-care for the mom is so important, right? To the degree that you have the capacity to take their burden away from them. And then instead of sticking it into yourself, but sort of passing it along and getting rid of it for them, that is so important. It's so challenging. It is so hard, but it's Mm -hmm. so important. But if you are emotionally dysregulated because you're not sleeping, because you're not eating, there is no way that you can take their burden away from them. You just won't literally have the mental capacity to do it. And that's why it is, in fact, not only is it not selfish to be self-caring, but it is important for you to care for your chayalim and chayalot so that you can help them feel emotionally unburdened. So because you need the bandwidth to take their distress. And that is very, very difficult, but I thought it was a beautiful point that they made. And the final point is that he strongly recommended being two people on the phone with the chayal at the same time. And this comes back to this idea of the social interaction, right? You're really? you and another person talking together. So the first of all, the two of you on the phone speaking to the chayal provide each other support, which makes it easier for the chayal to unload, makes it easier for the chayal to feel supported. Again, we're, we're in this together. It's one of the most beautiful things of Israel that I'm overwhelmed. I have to share this one story because I think it just speaks to the, the communal support that exists here and how that in the end is really what's going to help our, us support our chayalim. I went to a blood donation yesterday and they didn't need any more people. And there was a group of seven Israelis of all stripes, I mean, the velvet yarmulke to the guy smoking the cigarette with the tattoos, yelling at the guard, demanding to be allowed to donate blood. I yeah. mean, I'm a phys- I've been to a lot of blood donation centers. I've never seen people demand to be allowed to, like, they were angry that they could not donate blood. I just, have to like, share, I just have to share with our listeners, this blood donation drive was open for nine hours and it opened to 12. And from what I understand, by 1230, they were giving out number 641. And basically by then it was, it, it was clear that they weren't going to be, you know, it was I, got done. Three, I got there at three o'clock. Like I thought for sure, like I had a break in my schedule. I'm like, I'll get there at three. Perfect. I'll for sure. It was supposed to go on till seven. I'm like, three is perfect. Anyway, I, I just want to say, so this idea of doing things as a community 
whether the community is two people or three people or 10 people or however many people, that's how you help your chayalim by making, continuing to make sure they realize they are not alone. And I think in terms of reintegration, because we have, this is going to be, you know, this is a marathon. We have the acute stressor right now, and that's really just keeping them alive, you know, with Hashem's support alive. And then we're going to have to reintegrate. And the community structure that we have and making sure they know that they're part of a community, that they have support, that's how we're going to be successful in terms of reintegration. And you being with another person while helping your chayal is how you're going to maintain your sense of sanity so that you can help your chayal, your chayalet, et cetera, et cetera. Wow, that was incredible and incredible advice from that army psychologist and um, just still taking it in. Thank you. Um, so I want to, cl- we have a few minutes left. I want to close with uh, returning to our young children. Um, uh, it's, you know, we see also, like you mentioned, there's so many different ways of coping. And I see within my different kids, such different uh, modes. And um, my youngest, who just turned 13, uh, his uh, his thing is he likes to stock the shelter, the mamad with the miklats with food and snacks. He kind of set it up like kiosk. <laughs> he made like a sign. And, uh, you know, we made a game of it. We went to the makolet. We, we bought some, you know, treats. And, um, I think, I think the biggest, um, the biggest concern for parents of younger children is what you mentioned, the exposure to social media, of course, the, the PTSD from having to run to the shelter and all of that. Um, but right now, perhaps the biggest threat is from social media. So I I'd love if you just in closing gave a few, um, minutes to, to that and, uh, what you, what you recommend, how do we, we can't hide it. There's no hiding it. Like you said, there's absolutely no hiding it, but how do we filter? How do we you know, protect them. So first to the degree that you could limit, obviously that's the best. I mean, this clearly the studies show that there's a direct correlation with exposure and rates of anxiety and depression. I mean, I don't need to go on and on about the scientific data. In reality, it's very difficult. It's easy to say to limit. It's very challenging, even with younger children, by the way, because if they have a friend, I mean, you know, you don't know what. So number one, like I said, asking them, that is probably the most important thing. Find out what they know find out what they think, find out what they're imagining. And those are three different things, by the way. And Mm -hmm. you may actually need to ask them very discreetly, each one of those things. You don't need to let them talk first. Say, what do you think is going on? What are you feeling? What are you hearing? Like, so first, sort of, you want to do like little fact finding for your child and really do not make any assumptions. And this is really, really important. Hear what they have to say and encourage them to try to tell you what it is that they're hearing, seeing, thinking. In terms of small children, but this is really true for every child, don't lie. So don't make things up. Don't pretend. They know that something's wrong. And I like I I'll, children are just little adults. Okay, they're not stupid, mm-hmm. right? Lying to them doesn't make them feel any better. It just makes them really confused because they feel something. They're aware that there's tension. I mean, it's not normal to have to run into your mamad. It's not normal to like see your parents kind of not going to work or not having school for so many days. They're well aware that there's something going on, right? This is not, so pretending that everything is fine is actually almost unhelpful because then it creates a situation where children can't, they don't learn to trust their own emotional reading on things. Mm -hmm. So part of our job as parents is to help children process, right? And so you ask them, how are you feeling? What are you feeling? And then talk to them about it. 
look, you can use language that's age appropriate. You don't have to tell your seven-year-old about the things that happened in the, you know, Yeshivim down south. You may not even want to, I mean, your teenagers, you may need to be a little bit, your teenagers probably know already, and they've probably seen more than you think, um, which is a whole separate issue. But in terms of your younger children, you can tell them, you know, this is a situation. There are people who don't like us there, and, but we have an army that's strong and is going to be helping us to protect us. I'm your mom and your dad, and we're here to protect you. And we're going to make sure that you're okay. And we're in this together. And you know what? I'm also scared. And it's okay to be scared right now. And I think giving them permission to feel whatever it is that they're feeling is the most important way you can help them. Because kids want, you know, this is, and again, we try to make our kids, we want our kids always to be happy. Right? Well, sometimes our kids aren't happy. You know, that's okay. It's okay for them to cry. Like, I remember I would always get into like an argument with my father. He'd be like, tell me to stop crying. I'm like, dad, that's not helpful. Like, <laughs> I'm a pro. I'm allowed to cry. You can ask me how you can help me not be upset, but to like, tell me that I shouldn't be upset doesn't make me any less upset. Just makes me feel like you don't understand how I'm feeling. Um, I guess that's what happens when you're the daughter of like, anyway. Um, So I, I think it's really important to allow your children to feel what they're feeling. Let them tell you how they're feeling without judgment. Don't try to convince them not to feel it, but help them feel better by understanding understanding what it is that they're going through and why they're feeling the way they're feeling at that particular time. And certainly if you're scared, you're allowed to tell your kids, you know what, I'm scared also, let's be scared together. And again, this joining of this joining is so important because when, when you feel distressed, right. And then you tell somebody how you're feeling, you always feel a little bit better, right? Quite frankly, that's the most basic premise of therapy, right? Is that you're sharing your feelings with somebody else you know, it's this idea, you know, they talk about when you're mavakar cholim, you take away a 60th of the illness. Yes. You know, I always thought of that as like a metaphysical idea that resonated with me as a therapist that, yeah, because you're going and you're sharing the burden with that person. So you're taking a little bit of their distress away. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Wow. And I think that's for our children. If they know that you're feeling something too, it makes them feel better because then they're not alone. They know that mom and dad understand how they're feeling. And by the way, that's the most important thing. So in terms of small children, that's my advice for how to handle them. And I would say the fact is that's true for your teenagers, for your spouses, for anybody. We need to feel like we're together. And is that that's my last sort of idea in terms of getting through this. We get through these type of horrific experiences together. And we are lucky that the Jewish community and the Jewish religion is predicated on community and it is to me one of the most beautiful aspects of our religion is that everything gets reinforced. We're in it together. Yes. And I think we've really seen that. Um, you know, thank God the, the people of Israel, both within the country and around the world, have really done that, shown that support. Um, Bella, I want to thank you. This is you you're such an incredible resource and um and it's just so special to have you in our community. I know you've been doing tremendous amounts to to give support to others. And on behalf of the Eden Center, we pray for the safe return of all of our soldiers and all who were kidnapped or missing, and for a full and speedy recovery for all the injured. May Hashem Amen. bring a Yeshua quickly. Amen. Thank you so much. This podcast is hosted by the Eden Center, whose goal is to reinvigorate the ancient female ritual of mikvah as a sacred space for women and use it as the natural platform it is to connect to Jewish women's health, 
well-being, and healthy relationships, enhancing Jewish women and family life. We invite you to visit our website, www.theedencensor.com, to learn more about our work in making mikvah relevant, welcoming, and meaningful. Please consider sponsoring a podcast in dollars or shekels at bit.ly backslash E-D-E-N-P-O-D. Additionally, give us a five-star rating, share this podcast on social media, and encourage others to subscribe.